Seek podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Immaculate Illibagiza shares the incredible impact Christ has had on her life. We hope that hearing her testimony will help you recognize what the Lord can do in your life. The genocide started in 1994. I was home Easter holiday. I will never forget it all started. It was about five hours, five days after I was home. I think three days I was home for the holidays. And one morning, my brother, who have just finished his master's degree, you know, we were all students in my, my home that time. He came to my room in the morning, about six in the morning. He pushed the door, which he never did before. And he told me, you are still sleeping. You don't know what happened. The president of the country died last night. I remember jumping out of the bed and I told him, they're going to kill us. And he asked me, why? Why? We haven't done anything wrong. I know he knew, but maybe he just didn't want to admit it or to accept it. But I still remember that moment because in my country, we were prepared. We knew that it was coming. Few things prepared us. There was a radio was supposedly private radio that literally used to spread hatred among two tribes so that people would hate each other. People didn't hate each other like everywhere. It is always mostly the propaganda of the politicians, people who have self-interest, who really divide people. Otherwise, people don't wake up one morning because oh, they realize they look different or have different tribes and still start to kill each other. So this radio literally was spreading hatred for about two years. The journalists used to say things like, one day we will kill those people, so, which was my tribe. And one day we will just eliminate them from this country. I'm like, oh, why nobody's doing this? It's stopping them. Why no one is, you know, arresting them? Well, we found out later that actually that radio was hired by the government that time to spread hatred among people. So they used to say it is private, but it was hired by the government that time. Another thing that prepared us, much more beautiful, that really, again, made me realize what was going to happen, it was the apparitions of the Blessed Mother. If you know about Lourdes, Fatima, Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Virgin Mary appeared in a place called Kibeho, 12 years before the genocide. And one of the message she gave to these three kids, by the way, who have been already approved by the Vatican in Kibeho, she gave a message, and one of the messages said, if you don't change, if you don't come back to God, if you don't pick up your rosaries and pray to God to help you, if you don't go to your Bibles and respect God's commandments and pray for your country, what is going to happen will be so bad. A terrible thing is about to happen to your country. So, and she said, if it happens, it will be so bad that it will touch everyone. So I used to wonder, what is it going to happen? But she have already showed the children, people killing each other with machetes, dead bodies and river. So we knew it was coming. And many people believe that actually the people who killed the president was his own people who knew that as head of the country, he might not allow them to eliminate a whole group of people, our tribe. So 
they killed him so he can be a sign of, let's start now, the job. It had just started. So I remember I came outside. I met my parents. We put on the radio. We found out like 10 minutes after the president died, they shut down every activity in the country, blocked the borders. No one can move from their home. They said, stay home. And they started to kill people, family by family. I remember two hours later, we heard on BBC radio that 18 families had been, already been killed. Children and mom and dad, grandpa and grandma. I remember my dad saying, this never happened before. Why are they doing this? Well, that's what they call a genocide, is the attempt to eliminate a whole group of people. So it was all prepared and they have just started. I remember people started to come to my home asking my parents what to do. I'm really grateful. I have known good parents who were faithful Catholics, who prayed, you know, every day, but who also were loved by people. So in the village. So people trusted that if they come to them, they will tell them the truth and what to do. So I remember by the second day, we had about 10,000 people, children and parents and all the people all around camping and cooking. The last image I remember of my father, my whole family really, I remember my father, he had the rosary in his hand and he spoke to everybody from different tribes and people who were watching us from the neighbors. And he said, if it is a matter of a small group that want to hurt us, do not be scared. We will defeat them. Then he said something I didn't expect. He said, but if it is a government that planned this, I cannot lie to you, they will kill us. And then I'm like, what then do we do? You just don't tell people they're going to die. And he really says something that also started to impact my fate in a different way right in that moment. He said, even if it was a government, let's take this chance as God is giving us a chance to repent so that we can go to heaven. Let's ask him for all the sins we have committed. Ask him for forgiveness. I'm like, somebody believe in heaven. Truly, again, in my life, every single night, we said our Catholic prayers together on our knees in, the front, in front of the, the picture of the sacred heart of our Lord, the immaculate heart of our lady for like 15 minutes. But faith never touched me in a way to touch me that way. My father was one of the people who is going to die. And yet he's saying, this is our chance. How many people who know they're going to die? Let's repent. Let's ask forgiveness to God. So we can go to heaven like he's happy. You know, let's die. We're going to die. However, I told people we're going to be mad and scared. Actually, they did listen to him. Everyone was praying. I was doing the same thing. God, if I have done anything, please forgive me so I can go to heaven if I am dying. After that, he came and handed me the rosary he had and asked me to go to the neighbor who was from the other tribe and who was a good man. And I really have to say this, not everyone in the other tribe were bad. Not everyone, and I believe not even half of them. But the government was using their tribe, we, Hutu, to kill them. But many people were good and tried to hide people. So I went to the neighbor and I told him my parents asked me to come there. And he put me in this tiny bathroom, three by four feet. I remember looking at the place, I'm like, what am I going to do? This is too small. Well, as I was complaining, he came back with five more women. Later, he came back with two more women. Now, in three by four feet, we were eight people. 
we literally had to sit on top of each other. I remember the youngest was seven years old. Others were, the older was 55. Others were teenagers like me. We sat on top of each other. He told us not to make any noise, not to speak to one another until the troubles has gone away. He told us that he would tell his children that he lost the key of the bathroom. It was nice to see how much he was trying to protect us. So we sat there. The second day went by, we didn't even see him. No food. The third day, he brought us food. I mean, the food he can afford to give us because, of course, he didn't tell his children that we were there. It was the leftovers of his children. Not that he wanted to give us that, but that what he could afford. He gave us food, food, took from the garbage, the leftovers, and he would bring one plate. So at the end of the week, I remember I had so many emotions, I couldn't take it. So I dared to talk. I asked him when he brought us food, if he can put the radio outside, so at least we can hear what's going on in a country. He was kind. He put three radios, different channels. I couldn't believe what was going on in a country. The leaders of the country who were behind the private radio, now they were out calling everyone to find any one of my tribe and kill them. I remember one government minister, a man who was smart, a man I remember who had his PhD, I think in France. He was on radio saying, don't forget children, a child of a snake is a snake. Don't forget all the people, we must cleanse the country. That's when I realized, oh my God, things have gone really bad. It was also another a moment of a big lesson to me. My parents always said, go to school, as long as you study, everything is good. And of course, we prayed home. But it was really a moment I realized that you can educate yourself, your mind, know a lot of knowledge. But if you don't have the heart, if you don't have the love in your heart, faith to lead you, to lead your skills, this can only damage. I'm not saying you shouldn't study. You have to, you should. But first, our faith means so much more than what we learn in school. So they started to kill everywhere people who run to stadiums, to churches, they were giving prices to people who killed more people. And then they gave order, was for us, to start searching every home to see if there is anyone who was hiding. I will never forget the day they came. I was stretching, I saw them through the window of the bathroom. And then I thought it was a thousand. They were dressed in banana leaves, all kinds of arms, they had guns, machetes, long spears, and they started to search everywhere. In that moment, there was nothing in my heart that can tell me that maybe they might not find me. I knew I was dying in a few seconds or minutes. This was a four-bedroom house. This was not a building where you think you can hide somewhere. That was it, four-bedroom. And I started to wonder, how do you die? I felt pain I cannot put in words. It was like a thousand needles were going through my body. Like I'm in fire. And I'm dying, but I'm burning, but I'm not dying. I remember thinking about purgatory. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so I knew our faith, what it says about dying. There is hell, there's heaven, there's also purgatory. I'm like, this must be what people feel in purgatory. Nobody's touching me, and yet I am in pain. In that agony, I started to feel like I had two voices over my shoulders. Nothing too strange. The things we feel when we are facing a challenge. Do it, do that, don't do it. You know, and we know the difference in voices. I felt like one voice was telling me, open the door, end the torture. Why wait? 
they're going to kill you anyway. And that sounded like me being reasonable. Another voice, however, was telling me, do not open the door. Remember, ask God to help you. Remember who God is? God is almighty. Do you know what almighty means? It means he can do anything. Do you know what anything means? It means even if they find you, they might not be able to see you. If only God wants. Even if they shoot you, the bullet might not go through you. If God wants. So you still have a chance. And you can still ask God. And then I'm like, wow, that would be really good. But uh, is even God there? Now, the bad voice started to convince me there is no God. Do you know how many children dying? Why would you think God is there? And then I got confused. And you know, in times like that, all it needs for the devil to win over you is you doubt about faith. And that's really, I ask you, especially in this moment, please ask yourself, do I really believe in God? And give him a chance to prove you, to you that he is almighty. But if you don't even believe in him, like, you know, why would you, now you, you will be confused. Then you will give him to the bad voice. But if you believe in him, then you can at least ask him the next question. You might not know everything about God, but at least you believe he's there. Then I remember making a promise to God. I might not know everything about you. I will continue to grow in my faith and to seek you. But I promise you, I will never doubt your existence again. Anything can happen. You are God, I'm not. I will continue to find out who you are. That was a big day. There was no more doubts in me, but I needed now to know who God is. If I almost lost my faith, that means that I didn't have it strong. So I asked the man who was hiding us to give me a Bible to start reading to know who God is. All my life, I have received the first communion confirmed. I was baptized, of course, and I prayed. But somehow I got to a moment when I wasn't sure if God was there. This time, I wanted to know who he is exactly and who am I, you know, in the eyes of God, so that I will never have to be tempted again to doubt him when I needed him most. I started to read the Bible. I will go to the beginning, you know. First, let's understand things. Uh, why did you create me? I know for sure now you exist, but if I, you gave me a choice, I would not want to be here because there's so much troubles. And I felt like God was speaking. I really encourage you. Ask him questions. He will speak to you. And then, I don't know how, but I, will, I felt like God was saying, well, okay, you ask me, I will tell you. I created you because I love you. I wanted to share with you everything I have that is so all the good. Paradise with you. That's why parents have children. Because even if they know things might be hard, but parents still want to have children to give them all they have, to love them, to give them affection. I'm like, okay, I understand that. Then I remember asking, my, asking him again, so how long am I supposed to be here? How long does a human live? Maybe a hundred years? I mean, how many people who reach to that? Okay, let's say a hundred years, fine. Then where do we go after that? There is a choice of heaven or hell. It's up to you. I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to look about hell. Let me just look at heaven. I literally remember taking the Bible, reading about heaven, you know, 
The roads are diamonds and gold. I really encourage you also to read about heaven. It is hard to work for a price if you don't know what it is about. Heaven is peace and love. There's no more hatred, no more sickness, no more sadness. Everything is perfect. The roads and diamond and gold, it's all a bliss. The more I, th I read more, I'm like, wait, I, I like that. I mean, who doesn't want to go there? Then I started to ask myself and asking God, really, so what am I supposed to do to go there? Not in hell, to go to heaven. I felt like God was saying, well, look in the Bible. I gave you guidance. I gave you commandments. I remember reading the commandments of God. I'm like, I can do that. This is not so hard. You know, if I have to go to that place for eternity, billions and zillions of years. So nothing compared to the life we spend here on, on earth. Compared to heaven, actually, this becomes like a dot on a map, you know, a blink in a lifetime. This life compared to eternity. So I really wanted to do whatever I can to go to that eternity. So I see the commandments until I started to read about forgiveness. Uh, forgive those who hate you. And how many times? Seven, seventy times. And I will close the, the page in the Bible. Then I will read again. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. No, no, close that page. I can do the commandments, but not that one. And I realized that I was in trouble. Actually, I might not go to that nice place. Now, I closed the Bible because I didn't know how to forgive. How do you forgive somebody who is trying to kill you, to kill your mother, your father, everybody who, who looks like you? How do you forgive them? It's not even done yet. They're still looking for us. I didn't understand. I didn't even like the idea of forgiveness. But I knew I'm in trouble if I don't let go to go to that nice place. So I closed the Bible. I took my rosary my father had given me when we were separating. And I started to pray the rosary. For those who know about the rosary, it takes about, you know, 15 minutes, 20, 25. It can take an hour if you decide to meditate longer. But Let's say it took me like 25 minutes, the first rosary. I said it for the first time in that bathroom. I felt peace. My anger that was killing me. Whenever I thought about people were killing us, my blood would run faster. My heart would beat faster. I would think about things I can do. I would be breathing hard out of anger. My body would be sweating out of anger. So I had huge anger in me. was deadly. Then I would go to fear. What they would do to me if they find me? Oh my gosh, they would rape me. They would, they would cut me in pieces. Fear was killing me as much as anger. Then impatience. I can't take another day here. I need to lay down. I need to sleep. I need... So it was too many emotions that were so painful. All that stopped when I was saying the rosary for 25 minutes. Then I said, huh, this feels good. Let me say another rosary. In a few words, I ended up saying the rosary all day because it was only time I can feel peace. And that is a promise Our Lady have given us, that if we pray the rosary, she will give us peace for each one of us. To this day, when I feel there's no peace in my heart, I have to make sure that I say my rosary more because I say it every day. That's what Our Lady said. For us to be able to fight the devil, to be in peace, to even fight with the challenges of this life, at least say one rosary a day. So I do that, but also when I'm in trouble, I say more. So I say the rosary throughout the whole day. 
one after the other. Joyful, sorrowful, you know, glorious that time. I think we didn't have luminous. I remember how many rosaries I said throughout the day that we'll feed the day. I said 27 rosaries every single day and 40 divine mercy chaplets every single day. So I counted how it will go. I prayed from six in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And I would close my eyes right where I was and fall asleep and I wake up in the morning, like fighting for the, with the devil. So he doesn't go into my mind. I would say, the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm under God. No more bad thoughts. You know, I, my day is in the hands of God. I prayed and I felt peace. However, after I felt peace, God is really gentle with us. He takes time to change us and he wants us to start slowly. So now I'm at peace. I'm saying the rosary. All of a sudden, I started to feel bad. Anytime I will reach this part of the rosary, our Lord is prayer, which is a part of the rosary. You say one, six, our Lord is prayer in one rosary. So I multiply by 27 and then 40 more. You know, I say like 40, I mean 200, almost 200, uh, our Lord is prayer. So anytime I will reach to the part that said, forgive us, as we forgive those who trespass against us. I was like, no, I don't want to say that. And I knew if I say it, I continue to say it. I'm lying to God. God who can see my heart. So what am I going to do now? Anytime I reach that, it was like a red flag. You don't mean it. You are lying to God. And you know now, he looks in the heart. So he knows you're not saying the truth. And what happened when we, we lie to our friends? We risk losing them. Especially somebody lying in your face because God can see everything. Well, I had a better idea. I had an idea that let me skip this part of the prayer because I don't have to forgive. I can't even forgive even if I wanted. But at least I want to be in good terms with God because I need him. So let me not lie to him like a good friend. So I started to skip that prayer, that part of the prayer. Forgive us. I would say not them, but go to the next part. I did it so many days until one day. Again, God is gentle with us. He's really slow with us. He knows us. Until one day, I was about to skip that part of the prayer. I felt as if like somebody was touching my shoulders like, hey, maybe my guardian angel, maybe our lady, you know, who loves the rosary very much, maybe our Lord. I felt like somebody was saying, hey, I hope you know our Lord's prayer is not man-made. It's Jesus himself who said those words. The one you believe is God. The one you believe cannot make a mistake. If I were you, I wouldn't try to edit his prayer. I'm like, oh, what do I do now? What do you tell God? He didn't know what he was saying. He's God. He knows everything. If he said, pray this way, he didn't say some people, some country, some situations. He said everyone or his, his children. So, what do you do for the first time in my life? I understood the meaning of surrendering. Gave it to God. I felt like God was telling me, you don't have to know how to figure out everything. Give it to me. You are only human. God is God. I gave it to God. Realizing that many times I make mistakes, not always I'm right. And I ask him this time, okay, fine. I'm going to put back that prayer. 
But when I reach there, I still don't know how to forgive. Please help me. Help me to know how to forgive. You are God, I'm not. You know everything, I don't. Help me. I felt such a peace just on another level. First, I felt when I started to pray, really peace. And when now I was willing to hand it to God, not to have my judgment and my justice in my own hand, just ask God and tell him I don't know how to, but you are God. It felt so much peaceful. Then I kept praying the rosary. And anytime I will reach that, I will remind him, I don't know how, but I will say the whole prayer as you say it, out of obedience to you. But I still don't know how to forgive. I kept praying that way, feeling much better at peace until one day. I remember I was meditating on a fifth sorrowful mystery when Jesus was on the cross. I remember thinking about everything that was happening, not just how we see it, you know, in a, on the cross, Jesus, sometimes you see a cross without even blood, you know, he's just a, in there. But I wanted to see the whole scenario. I read in the Bible what was happening, you know, he's, um, He's there, the mother is there. I mean, just think about it. His mother. Do you know what it is to see somebody you love? If you are not a parent, think about your mom to see you in that kind of situation. It was pain for her, even more painful for Jesus to watch his mother like that, hanging on the cross. And then I thought about, think about a nail in your hand, in your feet. Paint yourself, it hurts. So imagine having nails in your body. It must have been so hard. With crown of thorns, his whole body is breaking and, you know, heavy and the nails maybe tearing the body. And I'm like, oh, the more I thought about them, I said, you know, I'm sitting in the bathroom, but your situation is really bad. This is bad. And to think that he didn't do anything to deserve that. I mean, even those who don't believe in him, they know there is a man called Jesus who was in the, on the cross who didn't do any crime to deserve what he was going through. But as Christians, we believe him as our God. We believe him as our savior. He is the one who saved us. He was saving us. He did this willingly. He could have blinked and everyone could have fell down who were hurting him. But he did it willingly. So a few things touched me there. How can one love this much that you will actually accept to go through this cross, this much pain? I knew that where I was, I was there because I didn't have a choice. But Jesus did it willingly. You love me that much. He loves us that much. That was something that started to touch me. And then something that broke my heart open. When he said his last words, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. When he said that, it wasn't the first part that touched me. It was the second part. They don't know what they do. Knowing how much he did it willingly, lovingly, which I don't think if I had... If I had one second of power, I would have killed, I would have killed maybe eight million people from the other tribe. That's where my hatred was. And yet he took it willingly out of love. And now he says these words, especially this part, they don't know what they do. You know, many times people ask me, so what are the steps of forgiving? Huh? I never really thought about it much about steps, but I can recall my steps, how I was changing, how my heart was changing. The first was praying, deciding to pray, read from my heart, sincerely speaking to God, and actually realizing that I was not being sincere to Him, and then accept and then surrender, but especially to hear the words of our Lord. I had to believe Him fully, that He was God. 
He was almighty and he did it out of love for us. But when he said they don't know what they do, it was like he was handing me now, handing me a formula. It's like one plus one is two. You just find out. They don't get it. It was as if he was speaking to my own heart, telling me, people who are trying to kill you, they don't even measure the consequences that will come to them. They don't know what they do. People who are doing this, they don't even get the pain they are causing you. They don't know that the whole country, the whole world will, will be affected of this. And you trying to be like them does not change anything. Learn from me. Look what I went through. Look at my mother, how she behaved through all her pain. Learn from us. It was in that moment I truly got it. People are hurting us. They don't get it. And us trying to be like them, actually hating them more than they hate us, they have just won to get us where they want us to be. I feel like a huge luggage was lifted from, from my shoulders. I can be free now. I don't have to compete with evil. I remember feeling like the world was divided. I remember feeling like the world was divided in two parts. A part of love and a part of hate. And a part of hate where people like Hitler, people were causing the genocide in Rwanda. And a part of love where people like you, like people who, the saints, people have fought for peace. People we know in history, like uh, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela. I feel like Jesus was asking me, where do you want to be? Do you want to be with the Hitler, people who are hurting, those who are doing the genocide? And truly, I felt like I was on that side because my plan was to revenge. But when I saw people on the side of love, where they are peace, these people don't revenge. These people forgive. These people, no matter what have happened to them, they defend truth. They defend, they defend love. They defend peace. When I saw that, these are the people I wanted to be with. And actually, on top of just defending love and peace, these people believe that whoever is on the side of hate, if they choose, they can also change. People are not just evil. As long as we still have this life, we haven't been judged by God to either go hell, purgatory, and, and heaven. As long as we are still breathing, we have power to change. When we have God, when I saw that, then I was excited. Not only that luggage was lifted, but I was excited. I knew that I would spend my life praying for people who are on the side of hate. And if I can change and come on this side of love, them too, they can change. Maybe if I pray for them harder so that the grace of God can also touch their heart. I felt free. I felt such joy. You know, after that, I remember my heart was, now I have to think about my future. What if I find the job? What if I survive? What am I going to become? And I started to learn English. In the bathroom, without talking, I asked the man to give me a book in English and a dictionary English French. And with that, I can learn one word with word, by one word. I thought, you know, I might, what if I get a job with people who speak English? And to tell you the truth, where I am today, I'm writing books in English. I moved to the U.S. right after that. That was the beginning of what was going to be my journey. I also learned from that that when our hearts are clean, when we now really reject that anger that controls us, God can show us clear what is coming. We can see almost in the future. And that because I was able to let go of the anger and because I was able to think about those who have hurt me and truly pray for them, 
So them too can change. We ended up staying in that bathroom three months, from April until July. When I came out, I was hoping that somebody in my family was hiding just as I was, but I found out the very first night that everyone had been killed. My mom, my dad, my brothers, my uncles, aunts, my grandma, my grandpa, a million people was killed in a period of three months. Everywhere was dead bodies. Everywhere, it was a horrible scene. And I remember thinking, forget about praying. Let me just be like normal. Because prayer felt like it was like a shield. I couldn't feel what I used to feel before. It was like a peace that was almost abnormal. How do I feel peace when this is happening? But it, I loved it when I didn't want to think about it. But now, let me face it. I thought that was a natural thing to feel all this pain and be there. But I put my rosary down on the side and I cried, cried for the five minutes. And after that, I felt like there was like a giant hand of God, something that was holding me tight and reminding me, hey, the journey of your loved ones is over here on earth and not in heaven. And more than many, you know, but your journey is not over yet. It might be one week, one more day, one year, two years, 10, 20, 50 years, 60 years, or whatever that is, only God knows. And I feel like God was telling me, what is in your power is how you choose to use your life. Again, you don't know how long it's going to be. And truly, who among us knows how long we will live? We hear every day people who die by accident or who just don't wake up. We don't know. What, what is in our power is to deal with one moment by one moment. I feel like he was literally giving me a choice. You can choose to love or to hate. To be constructive, use your life to do something good or use it to be bad. Be kind or be mean. But if you choose love, if you choose kindness, whatever, every moment of your life, and if you fall, apologize, then you will be new again. Go to confession. But if you choose love, I will be with you. Whatever you need, I will give it to you. Ask me anything. For what you need, I will give it to you. And I felt like God was even making it bigger, telling me, you don't ha have to ask for everything right now. If you are still alive tomorrow, I will be there too. So that really told me, just ask for what you need today. And then I would write letters to God. I'm like, I need a friend. I need somebody to talk to. Um, I need food to eat just today. I need peace. I need to feel secure. I need, a, I need a jacket. I'm cold. Literally little things just I needed. Because in that moment, if, you know, sometimes greedy, we, we want everything at one time. If you gave me a house, I'd, I would not have known how to manage it. I would not even have felt peaceful, you know, to be in that home. But I just wanted what I needed that day. And that's what I felt God was asking me. Slowly, day by day, I would ask him, I need a room to sleep in. Because for three weeks, we slept on the ground. There was nothing. It was just grass, mud, and stones. And I felt okay, as long as I was not in the bathroom anymore. It was also the time I started to, to look around and see the things I took for granted. For the first time, I can feel the breeze, the, the breeze of the, the wind on my face in three months. For the first time in three months, I can feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. All these things I never thought about being thankful. For the first time in three months, I can talk and feel free and no one is running after me. It was really then I realized also, 
we have so many things we take for granted. Be grateful. Count your blessings, even when there are so many things to worry about. So, in that refugee camp, hearing that voice of God that invited me to love every moment and forgive those I am with. I literally have to start right there. I started to take care of the people in the refugee camp. You know, some people had wounds on their skin. I remember when I came out of the bathroom, people would run after, away from me because I went in, I was 115 pounds. I came out, I was 65 pounds. I was bones, but my heart was big. I was so happy inside. I knew God more than before. And when people look at me like, oh, she's bones, she's a skeleton. I laughed at them. I'm like, I'm still the same person inside. And there, that's where I learned to do. Take every moment as a gift. Start to help in the refugee camp just every day as it comes. And to tell you the truth, to this day, when I wake up, I take it as a gift. Every day there is a new intentions, new prayers requests. But the most important thing, I have to be that loving person every day. And I am a Catholic. I fall many times. I realized that I fall many times. I realized things I could have done better. I could have loved better. I could have, I would not, I should not have done. And anytime I do, I remember that I have to go to confession. Or if I'm not able, especially these times, I have to go on my knees and ask God to forgive me and start again. And that's the life we have today. And again, if you read my book and I continued, I found a job. I moved to the United States, to United States 1998 when I got married. And I worked with United Nations until 2006 when I wrote my Facebook. And during this time, I really knew that I want to tell my story to share with somebody. But how? How do you do that? And I had to remember God who protected me in the bathroom was still there, even in the United States. Even in my own heart, again, continuously, whatever request I have, present it to him. My book came out three, two weeks after it was out. I never knew how to write books. It was a series of miracles and begging God, fasting, praying my rosary. Two weeks after it was out, it was a New York Times bestseller. But to this day, I continue to count every blessing and give credit for every blessing I get. Give credit to God. So my dear brothers and sisters, I want to stop here and I want to thank you again for listening to me. And I just want to say this. Please, whatever you might be going through, I know we all live different situations, but whatever you may be going through, remember, hold on to God. Hold on to your prayers. Respect God and His commandments. Try your best. As long as you, you're trying, apologize for what you have done wrong, but do your part. Because when you do your part, God will do His part. But if we disrespect Him, just like any other parent, then... We can't even hear his voice. Hold on to God. No matter what is coming, what we fear, don't listen to that fear, but focus on prayer, especially the rosary and reading the Bible. Go to Mass if you can, because many people now in the world are not even able to go, are not allowed to go. But hold on to prayer. You can speak to your own heart, I mean to God in your own heart. And lastly, if I can forgive, anyone can forgive. I know the pain of unforgiveness and the damage of unforgiveness. So I plead you, dare to do it. There is so much joy, so much freedom. Please pray for me and I pray for you. May God bless you. Thanks for listening, friends. 
To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 23 in St. Louis, January the 2nd through the 6th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.